The following sermon was delivered by Pastor Frank Griffith in the Sunday morning service at Calvary Community Church in Brentwood, California. You'll find more information at calvarytruth.org. Good morning. Turn with me to Luke chapter 8, if you will. We're going to only look at three verses here. Right in the middle, it's kind of the hinge of this chapter. Verses 19 through 21, if you'll turn to verse uh, 19. This, This is a very busy time in the life of Jesus. There's great crowds, and they're pressing in on him. And in the middle of this, as he is performing miracles and teaching and so forth, and then in the middle of this, it says, and his, this is verse 19, and his mother and brothers came to him, and they were unable to get to him because of the crowd. And it was reported to him, your mother and your brothers are standing outside wishing to see you. But he answered and said to them, my mother and brothers are these who are hearing the word of God and doing it. This is the, the family of Jesus, those who are hearing the word and doing it. Basically what he's saying is, is that those who belong to Jesus' spiritual family are closer to him than even those that he's physically related to. I think I, we need to turn to Mark chapter 6 just for a second. Um, if you grew up in a Catholic setting, you probably heard that there, he had no siblings, but it's real clear in Scripture that he did. In uh, Mark chapter 6, verse 3, it's said about him, is these are the critics of Jesus, as he is speaking in the synagogue, and they say, these are people in his hometown. You know how it is when you're ho- some hometown guy that you know all of a sudden becomes world famous, I can't think of anybody, can you? (laughs) But you think they're getting too big for their britches, and that's kind of what was going on here. And so they say, is not this the carpenter, the son of Mary? Well, that was like saying, is this not the handyman in the village? And the son of Mary? In other words, he's not real important. And his brother, he's the brother of, these four names were given. James, who wrote the book of James, and Joseph, and Judas, who wrote the book of Jude, and Simon. So there's four brothers. He had some younger sisters, which we don't even know their names. Are not his sisters here with us? And they took offense with him. They took offense at Jesus. Because he was doing, he was teaching. He had wisdom and knowledge that they had never heard before. He didn't speak like the the teachers, the Pharisees, the Sadducees. He spoke with great authority, and they were offended by this. Now, when Jesus is in the midst of all this, and his mother and brothers come, and they want to talk to him. Now, we know from other passages that they were a little worried about him because he was acting as though he was the Messiah. What would you think if your brother started acting like the Messiah, like he was the Messiah? And so they're concerned for him. So they come looking for him, and they try to talk to him, but they can't get to him because the crowds are so large. And so he makes this statement. But what does this mean? What does this mean? My brothers and my sisters are those who hear the word and are doing it. Well, he's saying, this is my spiritual family. Someone asked me recently if we were a spirit-filled church. 
And I, you know, that's, that's a kind of lingo that some sort, we have different, we have different understanding what that means. But it's real easy to find out what a spirit-filled church is. All you have to do is read Ephesians chapter 5, verses 8, verses 18, down to verse 21. And what it says is this. He's talking to the believers at Ephesus, the church of Ephesus. And he says, Be not drunk with wine wherein is dissipation. It's squandering your life by trying to feel full by getting drunk. He says, But be filled with the Spirit. This is Paul's writing to them. But be filled with the Spirit speaking or communicating with one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs by singing and making melody in your heart to the Lord and be submissive to one another. That's a spirit-filled church. A spirit-filled church that is a church that sings with one voice when they sing praise to God. And it's interesting that what he says is happening when we sing the praises of God, we're actually communicating with one another as well as singing praise to God. It's wonderful to be in the midst of a people who sing praise to God without any reservation. When they sing with everything that they are. There's nothing like that to be in the midst of a people who sing from the heart and they are communicating to the Father and by communicating to Him and to the Lord Jesus, we're communicating to each other. We're encouraging one another. I used to be in a church that met in a building about this size, probably smaller than this. But it was all wood floors, wood ceiling, wood walls. We didn't, I don't even think we had a PA system. But when the church sang, you felt like you were in the middle of a heavenly choir. Not because they sang so well, it was they sang so loud. They sang with everything they had. And so when you left that place, you felt like you had been in the presence of the Lord. And Paul says that is being spirit-filled. That's what spirit-filled people do when they meet together as God's people. They sing from the depth of their being as one voice in praise to the living God. But it's getting harder to do that because we have speakers and sound systems and all that kind of stuff. You see, what what Jesus says is his family are those people who are hearing the word of God and doing it. Now, this is a theme that runs throughout Scripture. In other words, in the Old Testament, over and over again, the children of Israel were told that they didn't have ears to hear. You remember in chapter 6, he sends Isaiah, Isaiah 6, rather, he sends Isaiah out to preach to the people, God does, and he says, they're not going to hear you because, and I want you to tell them, you don't hear because you don't have ears to hear or eyes to see or a heart to believe. But what happened to us when we were born again, when we experienced the new birth, remember when that happened? Sometimes we talk about people getting saved because they made some profession. But there's a big difference between making a profession and being born again, isn't there? And you're all familiar with John 3 when Jesus talks to Nicodemus. Nicodemus comes to Jesus in the cover of night and wants to talk to him because he's the teacher of Israel, this Nicodemus is, which means he was the primary teacher. And so he wants Jesus, he wants to know Jesus because all these people are following him. And they're listening to him, and he's teaching with authority that they had never heard before. 
So he comes to Jesus and he begins to compliment him. He gives him compliments. <laughs> and Jesus he was not very diplomatic, this Jesus, because he says to him, until you're born again, you can't see the kingdom and you can't enter the kingdom. In other words, you don't know what you're talking about. It doesn't matter what you think of me because you're not born again. And that's when Nicodemus says, well, wait a minute, what do you mean by that? How can a, can a, a grown-up man enter his mother's womb and be born again? And Jesus explains, it's being born of the Spirit. And it's, having, it's being given ears to hear and eyes to see and a heart to believe. That's the work of the Spirit. And only the Spirit can do that. In fact, in 1 John 5, it tells us that this happens when Jesus comes to live within the heart. I, I was asking my wife last night about the gospel. I was wanting her to give me an explanation of the gospel. And I was telling her I was thinking about calling people out of the congregation to come forward and explain the gospel to us. And the only reason is, is that oh, you, if you've been born again, you have come to understand the gospel. The good news of salvation in Christ Jesus, that the Father sent his Son into the world to save us from our lostness and our alienation from God. And, and Jesus came into the world, he went to the cross and stood in our place. It says in, in 2 Corinthians chapter 5 that God made Jesus to be sin for us so that we could be made the righteousness of God in him. So he takes our place and he drinks the cup of God's wrath in our place instead of us drinking it. And then when we believe on him, we receive this forgiveness and new life. And we also receive ears to hear. Now, this is a theme in, in Scripture, this whole idea of having ears to hear. Let me ask you something. How did you get into the family of Jesus? Well, how did you get into the family you're in now in this world? Well, there's three ways people get into families. Did you know that? Birth. That's the way most of us got into our families. Adoption or marriage. I have two men in my family that weren't born. They have none of my DNA, and it's very apparent to me. They're son-in-laws, but they're a part of our family. Well, guess what? In the Bible, it says that we came into the family of God, the family of Jesus, including all three of those things in a real sense. We were born into the family. First, uh, John chapter 1, verses 12 and 13 says, he came into his own things and his own people didn't receive him, but as many as did receive him, that as many of the Jews as received Jesus, it says they were born of God. They were born of God. God caused them to become children of God, spiritually born. They believed the gospel, and they were a minority. It was a small portion of, of the Jews who believed on Jesus while he was ministering and became and came into the family of God. And that's how you got into the family of God, through the new birth. But the Bible also says we're adopted, and adoption doesn't mean in the Bible what it means the way we use it. We talk about we adopt a child, we bring them outside and bring them into our family, and they became our, become ours. It's a legal process. In the Bible, adoption was something done even to sons born in the family. 
There was a time in which they were set forth before the community as adult sons. They were given a position of being, in essence, the head of the inheritance. And that's what's happened to you. We're told in Romans chapter 8 that we have been adopted and that we have a standing as heirs of God and joint heirs with Jesus Christ. So you were born into the family. You were adopted by being placed in this position of acceptance before the Father. And now you can say, you can, it says that the Father sent his son, the Spirit of His Son into our hearts, crying out, Abba, Father. So I can treat the Father as though He loves me. It isn't pretend. It's an awareness that God has demonstrated His love towards us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. And now we're sons of God, and we treat Him as a Father. But we're also in the family by marriage because we are told that we are the bride of Christ. He's the bridegroom, and we are the bride. We're going to have that kind of intimacy throughout all eternity. We are His people. And so when, when Jesus says... My mother and brothers are those who hear the word, they have ears to hear, and they do the word, they have a heart to respond in obedience. Those are the ones who are my family. And guess what? We're in the family of Jesus. Now, to clarify, Mary was in the family because Mary believed the gospel. We know that from the account, that she believed the gospel. But her brothers, his brothers didn't believe the gospel yet. They thought... He had some kind of mental illness. But they came to believe on him. And this is why we have those two books in the New Testament, James and Jude, the brothers of Jesus wrote. At least that's my opinion. Those are the two, those are the men. Jude and James are brothers of Jesus. Isn't that amazing? They came to believe on him because earlier on, they taunted him for thinking that he was the Messiah, that he was important. This happens to be the most important person in the universe, doesn't it? Daniel, 7, Daniel chapter 7 says that he was the son of man, which means he was a leading figure. He was the one that God gave the kingdom to. He's the eternal son of God who came into the world to bring us into the kingdom of God. And so when Jesus says that we are his family, members of his family, uh, it, it has several implications We are objects of His grace because salvation is a gift you have to receive as a gift. There are a lot of people who hear of the gospel and never come to be believers because they won't receive salvation as a gift. Religion is man's effort to earn something from God. And the gospel is not religion. The gospel is is the report. It's the message about what God has done in Christ Jesus, and you can receive it as a gift, but you have to receive it as a gift. If you try to earn it, you won't receive it. And you can understand the insult it would be to God for you to walk up to the the cross of Jesus Christ where Christ has died for your sins, and you put your meager little works down there next to the cross say, well, here's my part. God says, no, I've, given, I've offered you a gift that you receive by faith. And he gives us ears to hear and eyes to see and a heart to believe. Now, uh, so we, this is who we are as a people of Jesus. We are objects of his grace, members of his family. And we have entered into this family by the new birth, 
by spiritual adoption. And one of these days, we're going to be at the marriage supper of the Lamb, and we're going to be important guests at that supper, the bride of Christ. Isn't that glorious? <laughs> that is wonderful truth. Then uh, notice the, the, the gifts that we received. We received three gifts. First of all, the Word of God. The Word of God, this book, and I know you have, this is a New American Standard. It comes in various translations. But this is the Word of God. It's in written form here. It was first proclaimed, and then it became written. When Jesus says that his family are those who not only hear the Word, that is, they hear it proclaimed, but they do it. Now, most of us, most of our knowledge, I hope, comes from us studying the Word of God. You know, like uh, tomorrow morning when you get up, I'm sure you're going to open the Bible and you're going to read from the Word of God because now you have ears to hear as believers. And so when you read it, you can, you can understand it. You can actually pay attention to what's there and take it into your heart and believe it. And it will change your life. It will transform you. And so, he's, so he says that this word of God has been given to us first by proclamation. Second Peter chapter 1, verse 19 says, Never was there a prophetic utterance that the prophets gave in the Old Testament that was of their own doing. It was God who moved them to speak. And so what we have is the written form of the word of God. 2 Timothy 3.16 says, For all Scripture, and it's the word graphe, we get our word graphics from it, but that word graphe is talking about the written Word of God. We have 66 books in this library, and they constitute the Word of God. It has authority. He says all Scripture is God-breathed. That is, it's a product of God's doing. God has, has had this committed to writing so that we can actually carry it with us. You can carry it on your phone. You can have it on your computer. You can carry it in a bound Bible like this. It, this is the Word of God. And so he says it's those who hear the Word of God that actually come to the text and you can listen to it if you want because there's all kinds of free recordings of the Bible. You can hear it read to you. But the point is, is that you take it in. You receive it. It's the very Word of God. Now, this is a completed revelation. That doesn't mean that it has everything in it that will ever be given to us. We're told in the future, when Jesus comes back, we're going to learn some new things that we don't know now. It's not in the Scriptures. Some new things are going to develop. It's going to be consistent with this. But this is a completed revelation. You don't need to go looking elsewhere to find the Word of God. This is the Word of God. I say that because there are some developments in the life of the church, especially in America. There's a group uh, that calls themselves NAR, NAR. It, it means New Apostolic Reformation. And this is the heart of it. There are prophets out there that are getting new truth from God, and they want to tell you about it. I want to tell you what that is. That is baloney. <laughs> there is one word of God. This is the word of God. And when people ask you questions, what you ought to do 
is to look for the answer to that question in the Word of God. If you start listening to so-called prophets who have words from God, you're going to be all over the map. All you have to do is go online and listen to some prophets on YouTube, and you'll find out it would be impossible for you to establish a Christian life based upon the prophecies of these so-called prophets. This is the Word of God. And Jesus said, those in my family hear the Word of God. They have ears to hear, and they do it. I want to explain something about that expression there. They they hear the Word, and they do the Word. Those are both, this is, I should never do this, but I can't help it. I keep doing it. Those are present participles. And some of you remember present participles from grammar school, right? They're describing something by an action, but it's a certain kind of action. Present participles means they're constantly doing this. This is how you identify those in the family of of Jesus. They are continually hearing the Word of God and doing the Word of God. That's the mark of the family of Jesus. They hear the Word of God and they do the Word of God. What do you mean, do it? Well, it's filled with commandments. You have to understand who the commandment is to, of course. You go back and read in the Old Testament, it tells you how to offer a bull at at the temple in Jerusalem. That's not for you. There is no temple in Jerusalem now. There's a mosque. I suppose you could take your calf there, but there's no, there is no temple. And the final sacrifice has been offered. That's the Lord Jesus Christ. So we understand that, the, that the, these offerings were made to point to the Lord Jesus Christ, who is the ultimate Lamb of God, who takes away the sin of the world. But I just want to encourage you, don't believe people when they say they have a word from God unless they can show you where it is. Now, it's fine for somebody to say, you know, I really felt impressed. Like I read that letter to you, and this young man said he felt nudged by God to chase the thief. That's fine. Some of you remember this story about Larry Adams, a pastor of Golden Hills, when uh, this, this guy came into their garage. His daughter came into the garage. This guy was standing there, and he got into the garage, and he was trying to abscond with his daughter and his car. Larry was upstairs in his pajamas. Him and his wife were going to bed, and he heard something downstairs. So he comes downstairs, and here's this guy. Well, when he came into the room, the guy took off running. And Larry, took. he felt nudged by God to chase the guy. <laughs> And so he's chasing this guy down the sidewalk in his pajamas, barefooted. And I said to him, what would you have done if you caught him? He goes, and I'm glad I didn't. <laughs> so you, can, you may be nudged by God, you think, well, fine. But don't tell somebody else to live according to those nudges. This is the only authoritative word of God that we have. And let me tell you, this book is filled. It is absolutely filled with the wisdom of God. It tells husbands how to love their wives. It tells wives how to respect their husbands. It tells parents how to deal with their children, how children should respond to their parents. It tells you how to pay your bills and handle your money. This is the wisdom of God. 
Now, there are a lot of good books on the market that try to take the wisdom of God and put it in some kind of orderly manner and explanation. Fine. But just make sure that you understand this is the only authoritative book that we have. This is the only authoritative Word of God that we have. It is this Scripture that He has given us. We have the Word of God. Now, I want to point you back to something, and that is... uh, if you would turn back to Isaiah 53. Isaiah 53. The first words in Isaiah 53 are significant. They're kind of the beginning of a theme that runs throughout Scripture. And here's what it says. Isaiah, in writing this, this is what, he, this is what Isaiah begins Isaiah 53 with. He says, Who has believed our message? Our report, it says in the King James, I believe. Who has believed our report? And to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? The arm of the Lord is referring to the Lord Jesus Christ, God's person who's going to bring deliverance to his people. And he says, who has got the message? And he goes on in in Isaiah 53 to basically give us the gospel. This is where the apostles preached from primarily was Isaiah 53. This book was written 750 years before Jesus came to the earth, and yet it has in it the gospel of Jesus Christ so clearly laid out for us. But then I want you to turn over to Romans 10. This is Bible exercise. Romans chapter 10. Let me go back to verse 14 so you get the context. Paul writes, how then will they call on him in whom they have not believed? How can you call on on Jesus if you've never believed on him? Isn't it funny how some people do? You're, you're about to have an accident, and, and a total unbeliever, maybe an atheist, says, Oh, God, or maybe even Jesus, please help me. It's funny, isn't it? Well, here's, here's what he says. How can they call on him whom they have not believed? How will they believe in him whom they have not heard? And how will they hear without a preacher? In other words, when somebody preaches the word of God, you're hearing Jesus Christ. That's the implication of that. He says, how will they preach unless they are sent? Just as it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news of good things. That is the gospel. Those who bring good news, he says they have beautiful feet. What he means by that, it's, it's a beautiful thing for someone to walk across a room and share the gospel with somebody. There's a book by that title, Just Walk Across the Room. On, it's on evangelism. Bill Hybels wrote that book, I think. Just Walk Across the Room. That's a, pretty, that's a pretty good thing, isn't it? Do you ever talk to anybody? Do you ever have conversations with people you don't know? Would you be willing to get up and walk across a room to meet somebody so that you might be able to share Christ with them? You see? And so he says they have to be sent. But then notice this. Verse 16, however, they, that is Israel, did not all heed the good news. Because Isaiah says, Lord, who has believed our report? Who has believed our... Now, in the, in, it's being translated into Greek here, and the Greek word, archae, means the word that's supposed to be heard. The report was a message that's supposed to, be, supposed to be heard. Now, that had more significance many years ago, even in this country, when a, a town crier would go out in the community and he would speak loudly to bring a message to the people that they needed to hear. 
like there's a fire raging 10 miles north and it's coming toward us. And so he says here, Isaiah says, Lord, who has believed the report? So faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of Christ. In other words, what God wants you to hear is the word of Christ. That is the word about Jesus Christ. The word that Jesus Christ gave while he was here. And this is the word he wants you to take to those around you. And what he is saying is, in in our passage, is that Jesus says those who are in his family are those who hear the word and they do it. Now, we've talked about, I've, I've probably, I'm getting on my, one of my Harvey horses, you know that, but I, I have tried to convince you that you're all ambassadors of Jesus Christ because that's what 2 Corinthians 5 says. You're an ambassador of Jesus Christ. Now, an ambassador of Jesus Christ means you are represent Christ and so you're supposed to tell people about him. You're supposed to tell people about him. In the next story in, in Luke, we'll get to see this in the life of the, the demoniac of Gadaria that Jesus tells him, I want you to go home and tell those in your household, those your friends, your community, I want you to tell them what the Lord has done for you. Have you ever thought about what you would say if you were to tell somebody about what the Lord has done for you? That's what he wants you to do. And, and you, you have to shape that in such a way that the gospel is clear. Because if you just get somebody to cry over you, what you've gone through, that isn't, that isn't necessarily the gospel. The gospel is the good news that God has sent his son into the world to die for sinners. And if you turn to him in faith, he will save you and forgive your sins and reconcile you to himself. Give you eternal life. And he wants you to represent Christ in all of your relationships. All the people that you talk to. He wants you to be a representative of Jesus Christ. Now, in England, they actually refer to people like this as Christers. That is people who won't keep their mouth shut. They always wanted to tell you about Jesus. That ain't bad. That's good. He wants you to tell people about Christ. Um, I, want, I, I got behind in my little presentation here. The, the life that we live is hearing the word and doing the word and experiencing the joy. I take experiencing the joy from another passage, as you know, 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 8 and 9, that when you're loving and believing Jesus, you will be filled with joy. And you know what I found out? If you don't have joy, forget about trying to share the gospel with anybody. If you are in depression you're not going to have a very good impact on a person who needs to hear the gospel. Or maybe you will, and it'll bring you out of your depression. And you start realizing, why am I depressed? Jesus died for me. And he lives for me, and he's promised to come and deliver me. But this is, this is, what, this is the life that we live as the people of Jesus. We hear the word, which means that I position myself to hear the word. And that's what I'm saying is, tomorrow morning, I would suggest, you could do it tomorrow night, but do it sometime tomorrow where you get alone and get into his word and listen to his word. Hear his word. The word listen has, is, is one of the words, akuo, we get a word acoustics from it, and, and the, the form of the word that's used here has the idea 
of intentionally listening. In fact, it's used in some context, and it's, and it's translated to obey. Have you ever said this to one of your kids? Listen. Listen to what I'm saying. What do you mean by that? I want you to understand what I'm telling you, and I want you to do it. Get your room cleaned up. So it means intentional listening. Do you ever get in situations where people are making noise or playing noise on their phone that you don't really want to hear? But what he's talking about is intentional listening. I want to hear the Word of God. I want to know what the Word of God says. There's a real simple formula for interpreting the Bible or any literature. It's this. Observation, pay attention to what is being said. Interpretation, determine what the statement means. And application, how should this change my life? Let me give you an example. You're walking down the sidewalk, uh, or in, in Brentwood, we don't have sidewalks here, but you go in Brentwood and you're walking down the sidewalk, and you see a guy walking towards you, and he suddenly pulls a, knife, a, a gun out of his waistband, and he's holding it, and he's pointing it at you. Observation. You notice this. Interpretation is you got to determine what does this mean? Does this mean this guy wants to give me 50 bucks? Or does this mean this guy might be ready to shoot me? And then application is run with everything that you've got. Respond. And so what Jesus says is those in my family, they intentionally hear the word of God and they act upon it. The same thing goes for this, which is not near as popular. It says, wives, submit yourself to your husbands. And some of you are thinking, you've got to be kidding me. <laughs> you don't know my husband. I know me. I know me, and I know that I think it's absolutely ridiculous for my wife to submit to me because she's a lot smarter than I am, and she makes better decisions and all that. However, I know it will bless her because it's a command from God. And what God does is he supernaturally enables a husband whose wife is actually submitting to him. It is part of God's means of empowering him and giving him wisdom in life. It's obeying the word of God. This is the definition of the people, the family of Jesus. They are continually hearing, intentionally hearing the word of God, and they are intentionally obeying its implications. Implication simply means, so what does that mean for me? Well, it may mean I need to repent. I need to change my mind. Or as Bob Dylan put it, I need to stop being influenced by fools and start being influenced by the living God. That Jesus knows better than any of your friends about what you should do in life. And it's contained in this revelation, this word of God. And this is what the people of God do. They intentionally hear the Word of God and obey the Word of God, and God produces divine effects in that obedience. Now, this isn't... You don't have to pray uh, that Jesus would come down out of heaven or that He would come up from the grave. He's already done that. Now you can simply receive His Word, obey His Word, and God will empower you to do that. He has given you ears to hear, and eyes to see, and a heart to believe, and he says to you, now use it. Use them. Use the ears that he's given you.
But God's given us ears to hear, not physical ears, but spiritual ears. We can read the Word of God and understand it because we have the Holy Spirit. And we need to live by this book. I have noticed that people who are always searching for somebody who has a new word from God, like this NAR group, this new apostolic reformation, and they have these guys around the country who are giving people new revelation. What I've noticed is it's never as good as this. This is God's word. And he wants you to hear it and to obey it and to grow through it. The last time I spoke, I talked about uh, Colossians chapter 1, where Paul is writing to them, and he says, Be, I pray for you, that you would be being filled with the knowledge of his will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding, so that you can live a life of, uh, to obey him and live a life that pleases him in all respects. Live a life that's worthy of the Lord. The only way I can live a life worthy of the Lord is if I actually listen to the word of God, and I obey the Word of God and put it into practice, it produces a life that is worthy of the Lord. It it produces a life that reflects the worth of Jesus Christ. Jesus has given us everything we need. We're His family. He's given us everything that we need, and His Word is right at the center of all that He's provided for us. Whatever you're looking for, I have a Bible program on my computer I use all the time, and it's really a fast way to find things. It's wonderful. But let me tell you, I would rather have just this Bible, if I had nothing else, I'd rather have this Bible than the fastest computer in the world with a web browser on it. Google cannot, absolutely cannot, compete with this. What's in this book is pure wisdom of God. And the folly of man is reported as well, but it's put in a proper context. So I want to leave you with that message that you have been, you have been, all of you believers have been brought into the family of God, and this is the characteristic of your life. You are those who intentionally hear the word of God and are doing the word of God, and that delights the heart of Jesus. And so find a way. Find a way to intentionally hear the Word of God. A great percentage of people in our world, I'm going to stop right now, but a great percentage of people in our world today are oral learners. They don't read, and they have to, be, they have to hear something. And so, so a lot of people are publishing the reading of Scripture that they can give to people around the world. The problem is you've got to get it in the right language, right? But you can read. I can tell that you all know how to read because you're always sending me emails. Now, you misspell a lot of words, but you can read. And so we have this book, and I'm telling you, you don't have to be a genius to read this book. God has put all the cookies on the bottom shelf so that you can understand it. There's some difficult things in here, but let me tell you, here's what we're supposed to do as a people of God. We're supposed to talk to each other about the Word and what God's saying to us in His Word. And sometimes what happens is somebody says, you know, I think you're really misunderstanding this. Let me show you something over here that comments on this very thing you're talking about. That's fine. But we're the community of faith. We have a commitment. We believe with all of our hearts that this book, this Word of God, is the very Word of God. 
We believe in the inerrancy of Scripture. That is, that there's, there's no mistakes in here. Now, there, there are some mistakes in my notes. I put some notes on the margins, and there are some mistakes in there. You'll see some of them scratched out. But there's no mistakes in the Word of God. God speaks truthfully, clearly, and to your heart. So let me pray for you. I, uh, my, my heart's desire, if you're a member of the family of God, Jesus came and died for you so that you could be not only enter the family, but also thrive in this family, receiving his word, obeying his word, and you'll have joy unspeakable and full of glory. Remember what Paul and Silas said to the man who asked him, what must I do to be saved? What did Paul say? I can see your lips moving. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, and you will be saved. And so if you're here this morning and you're not in the family of Jesus, I can tell you this is what he says. Find out who Jesus is, what he has done. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, and you will be saved. That's a glorious message. Let's pray. Our Father, we are a blessed people. We are overwhelmed with how glorious this work of salvation is in our lives. Thank you for the Word of God. Father, I thank you didn't, you didn't tell us to put this book under our pillow and sleep on it. You told us to read it, open it, read it, understand it, apply it to life. So I pray that you would cause your Word to take up residence in our heart, that we would begin to love you with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength because of the message that's contained in this book. Please use us as a local church that believes the Word of God. Father, I pray that you'd use us as a lampstand in this community, not just because of the preaching, but because of the lives and the conversations of the people that are a part of this local church. Help us to be bold in communicating the truth of your word because we have, we have ears to hear, we have a heart to believe, and we want to be communicators of your word to all those around us, Father. So please energize us, empower us, I pray, to fulfill this calling you put upon our lives as your people. In Jesus' name, amen. To respond to this message or learn more, please visit calvarytruth.org.